Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hey, it's Anthony here and welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you join us here today. I often get emails or messages on social media thanking me for the podcast, which are always really appreciated. But if you really want to show the love, a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app is extremely helpful and greatly appreciated as they improve the rankings of the show and they help other people to find us. And obviously, I also love to hear what's been helpful to you. So if you'd like to leave us a rating review, all you need to do is go to the Apple Podcast app, search Grow My Salon Business, scroll to the bottom of the page, select Ratings and Review, and write us a review. We'd be very appreciative. So with that said, on with today's show. We are living in turbulent times, and as we come out of COVID, the issue that is going to be staring us all in the face is how we all need to change the way we live and work in order to stop climate change. My belief is that that is the single biggest thing that we'll be dealing with during our lifetime, but I also believe that we can and that we will do it. I think that COVID has shown us that when the world has to react and change and find different ways of working and inventing new technology in the form of vaccines, et cetera, that we can, but it's down to all of us to do our part. My guest on today's podcast is Kareen Jackson from Kareen Jackson Sustainable Salon in Covent Garden, London. And she's a great example of a salon owner at the forefront of change. In today's podcast, we'll discuss What is a sustainable salon? Is there a compromise using organic color? And how being sustainable is a marketing message that can help grow your business and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Corrine. Anthony, thank you for having me on. It's um, exciting, actually, and a pleasure. Oh, good, good. Well, I'm really looking forward to talking to you after um, seeing you on the weekend and listening to you on the weekend as well. I thought that would be fantastic because I know we already had this podcast penciled in and uh, it gave me some some sort of, you know, insights into some of the things that you're really passionate about that I want to touch on today. So uh, before we jump into it, let's just start off with an overview of um, uh, who is Kareen Jackson. So um, I want you to do what I get all my guests to do, which is pretty much to introduce themselves. So give us your sort of two minute backstory of, of, uh, of who you are, who you are, sorry, and then we will dig in. Okay, well, I'm Kareen Jackson, as you said. Um, I own um, Kareen Jackson Sustainable Hair in London, West End, for the last 18 years. Um, my career started in Australia in a place called Wollongong, um, and I was in a small suburb of Wollongong called Coromel, my parents' salon. Um, and I started hairdressing at 15. Um, by the time I was 20, I, I knew there was more to the world than just Wollongong, so I jumped on a plane on my own and went traveling and found myself in London at the start of the 90s, which was amazing. Um, And I knew I never wanted to go home. 
So I worked for Charles Worthington's um, for nearly six years, managing um, at Percy Street Salon and their Covent Garden branch, which were two huge salons. And then I opened up my own salon in um, 2003. And then in 2005, we took on the path of working more sustainably. We've been on that journey learning ever since. Um, in my time in the salon, uh, I've, was, uh, I've won London Hairdresser of the Year, um, along with a few colouring awards, um, Creative Heads Image of the Year. And I was also president for the Fellowship for British Hairdressing um, and Chancellor prior to that. So, yeah, I think that pretty much sums, up, sums it all up. And now mm. I'm just really enjoying working in the salon and talking at events about sustainability and just loving the industry, really. Great. Okay. Well, you certainly, you know, ticked a lot of boxes on your journey so far. And, um, you know, you've already mentioned it. I didn't realise it was even in the, 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 these words were even in the name of the salon. So you actually call the salon Kareen Jackson Sustainable Hair. Yeah. We rebranded that about five years ago now. Yeah. Okay, um, good. All right. Well, that's what I, I really want to start off uh, talking about because, you know, you'll know, and I'm glad you mentioned that you'd had awards and, and uh, that you were the president of um, the, the, sorry, the, the fellowship. Uh, fellowship. Or the yeah. fellowship, right. Okay. I wanted to make sure I got the title right. Um, but, you know, you, you are also very passionate uh, about sustainability. And before we even got on this call and talk, before we started recording, I should say, um, you happened to mention to me that last night you had an event in the salon to celebrate uh, Black History Month. Um, and that's typical of you. You're always doing, you, you know, you're known of having a strong social conscience and you're known for sustainability as well as for being a great hairdresser. So let's just start off on what you were doing last night. What, what was it, um, you know, Black History Month? What was it that you were doing uh, as a salon to, uh, to recognise that? Well, it, it started a couple of years ago and unfortunately um, the pandemic got in the way, but when she was an apprentice at the time, um, Jacqueline, and she came to me and she said she'd like to celebrate Black History Month. And she had an idea and she wanted to do a photo shoot. Um, she was 19 at the time. Finally, we got to, to bring it to fruition last night. So off her own back, she put together a photo shoot with a backstory. Um, she's from Ghana and um, she wanted to talk about how important hair was for women, um, but also how important hair was in the history, in black history. Um, and it started um, in slavery so with the corn rolls and the cane rolls, and they would braid the hair and that would be the map out of the fields um, to escape. Uh, and it goes wow. into it, and I really don't want to speak out of turn for her, um, but the history of um, different hairstyles. And so the photo shoot starts there, and it ends with the Afro, and that to her represented freedom, part of the Black Panther movement. So what I wanted to do was um, celebrate this for her and with her. So we, we put the images around the salon in the art gallery, and um, she wrote her story. And last night, oh, it was amazing. Um, people from all over the industry came to see it. She did, uh, she had one of her friends who's just done a bachelor's and um, recited a poem that she'd written, uh, which moved the whole room. I don't think there was anyone without a dry eye in that in the room. Um, and it was really just celebrating, you know, where, where people are now as humans. Uh, we've got a long way to go, but, um, you know, we were focusing on the good things last night and it was such a wonderful event. 
Um, and we had people from all over the industry, we had press and hairdressers and colleges came and um, some people I met just at Salon International that we were at at the weekend. Mm. Uh, yes, yeah, so I was still a bit buzzing and overwhelmed from the night before. It was, it was great. And Jacqueline just, she was amazing. She is amazing. Um, I can't tell you how proud I am from start to finish. She completed this project and did it by herself, really. Good honour. That that is fantastic. And I, I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people don't know that. Uh, I certainly didn't. I just learned something that, that the pattern that they were doing with the the cornrows, did you say, was yeah a map for yeah. how to escape. That is yeah. incredible. I know. Wow. And there's so much more to the history. You know, the colour, the colour that you put in the head, golds, what that represents, and. Yeah. Um, there's, I'm trying to think of it offhand, and I'm so sorry I can't think of it offhand, but there's, there's lots of details to um, black hair that explains, you know, different parts of culture. Yeah. And it's fascinating. And Jacqueline's going to start researching it even heavier. And what I liked about last night was um, a lot of the salons, um, you know, my friend Daryl Douglas, who's a big, big um, hairdresser in Knightsbridge, he brought his younger team members along and all of them were like inspired to go on and do their own projects. So, you know, it's leading the way and it's um, the youth teaching the youth, really. It's, it's really good, really important. Yeah, it is. And I mean, that's interesting, you know, that you've just sort of said that the youth teaching the youth and that, and that his team um, who are younger uh, um, are now inspired to go and do their own uh, projects. And I think that that is something about this new generation, you know, Gen Z, uh, is that they have a much stronger social conscience maybe than, you know, my generation, you know, and, and they they want to get in and explore things. They want their opinions to be uh, known and, they're you know, they're very aware um, of all these things in the world that we live in today and are very prepared to take a stand on it. And I think that, that is, that's fantastic. So, okay, um, right. So that aside, uh, uh, sort of on a, on a similar theme. Well, it's not really similar, but it is, uh, you know, your social conscience, which I wanted to to really explore because um, you're known for many different things in the industry uh, here in the UK. Uh, but one of the things that you're really passionate about is sustainability. And I feel that, you know, we are at a point now as a, as a society where, where governments, where businesses and every individual on the planet is about to make a huge shift because we have to. Like, you know, I think people have been talking about it for a long time. And I think that, you know, that now every time we turn the, the you know, the television on, no matter what country you're in, you're seeing the impact of global warming and climate change. And, um, you know, whereas maybe in the past it was a little bit associated with it being a, more of an alternative sort of movement. I mean, and NARA is very much mainstream. And I think that as a business owner, that, that you represent that really well. So um, what's your, you know, salon's position, for want of a, a better word, uh, on sustainability? How would you sort of sum that up? What's your ethos on it? Well, there's there's a few there's a few things, and I, I wanted to touch on something you'd said earlier. So I think, firstly, um, waste. It's not you know, do you need it? Do you need to constantly be replacing things? Um, and that's the first question we all ask ourselves, and I ask myself now as well. Um, 
But I also want to touch on the SDGs, which were set up by the UN um, a few years ago. And sustainability isn't just about, you know, what we recycle and plastic. It's about diversity. Um, it's about inclusion. Um, it's about where you're buying your products from. And I think there's 17 um, steps. And if you look at the SDGs and start with one and work your way around, then we're being sustainable. Um, okay, can I, can I stop and, and, and ask you, what, do that, what does that mean? What's that acronym, SDG? So SDG stands for Sustainable Development Goals. Okay. Oh, I thought you said STG. So it's SDG. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So sustainable development goals. All right. So, so, so carry on. How does that um, fit in with your, you know, your salon's uh, uh, take on sustainability? Um, so firstly, it starts with how you employ people. You know, are you being diverse enough? Are you being inclusive? Um, and for me, that's really important. I'm um, going back to the event we had last night. Um, and I think it's about developing people's goals, but also, um, you know, it then look, I look at the companies that I use, the products that we use, uh, are they sourcing their material correctly? Because all well and good, um, you know, being vegan or swapping to, to something else, but if it's being over farmed, that's, that's a bad thing as well. And like with bamboo, I think it's a great resource. It grows quickly. It's a weed, it, but it can be aggressive. And if we over farm bamboo, then we're also taking away from society as well. So as a team, we look at things together and we work out ways of working more sustainably. I get really embarrassed, but I'm going to own them from now on. But whenever I do a talk, I've got all these boxes behind me. And I've had these boxes probably... 15 years now. So to me, throwing them out and replacing them for wood or something else, that is not sustainable. A little bit like the issue with the cars at the moment. I actually got rid of my car in lockdown because prior to that, I was probably driving it once a month. It was a luxury. I cycled to work. I walked to work. So there's no point in, in keeping that on the road. Um, but don't go, you know, all the electric cars. I, I have a slight worry about the electric cars. I think they're amazing. I, I was in a cab yesterday um, bringing all the things to work for the event last night and he had one of those new Tesla self-drive cars and he was showing me all the gadgets and I think it is fantastic. It's all, but don't go get rid of your car now because that's just going to create more junk and buy another car. Wait till you need to get, get rid of things mm -hmm. to replace them. Um, as a team, we sit down and um, if anyone's thinking about, you know, looking at what you can do in the salon, we did a plastic assessment um, and we looked at how much single use plastic we were bringing into the salon. And it's a lot, you know, even when you're trying not to do it, it's a lot. So we're really conscious now. And one of the things a few years ago, I set my team that, you know, they're going to get their lunch in a, in a sandwich shop and they're coming back with those polystyrene bags. Um, packets. I was like, guys, this is so bad. It's microplastics. Why don't you take your lunchbox down? They go, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. I said, well, I challenge you to do it. Go down and take your lunchbox and ask them to put your pasta into that. And they come back and say, he gave us 50p off because it was saving him money, um, not having to provide the the uh, polystyrene packaging. They, oh. they love that. So there's always little things um, we swapped over to who gives a crap brand of um, toilet paper and tissue paper and it's 100% recycled or bamboo. And the tissue boxes came with a 
plastic piece in the top, plastic film. And I just thought, oh, come on, you, you know, you're trying to be sustainable. So I wrote to them. And they're going, oh, it's biodegradable and all of this. And I wrote back, but do you need to put that bit of plastic in there? They've taken it out. Wow, so there's no longer fantastic. the plastic in the tissue box. And it was just a, it was a simple letter. It was very polite, very nice. Yeah. They emailed back. And, you know, a small action has been taken. Uh, and I think if you could think of little things like that, it's brilliant. If we can all do that within ourselves, empty out your bag and look in there. What don't you need in that bag? What don't you need to be buying? Yeah, that is a really good example, what you what you did where you wrote to a big multinational and said, do you really need that bit of plastic? And I think that sometimes one of the things that people feel is, well, it's just little old me. What can I do to have an impact on the world? And um, I, was, I was really fortunate years and years ago when she was still alive, Anita Roddick, founder of The Body Shop, um, I was fortunate enough to to do her hair a couple of times, and um, so was I. She was amazing. Oh, you were as well. Well, she was getting yeah, <laughs> she was getting around then, wasn't she? Right. She okay. was. Yeah, I only did it twice. Blow dried it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, she she had this quote uh, which she gave to me on a on a on a poster, which was it said something like, "Anyone who thinks that they can't make a difference." or anyone who thinks they're too small to make a difference has obviously never been in a tent with a mosquito. And I thought that that was a a really good example of how, you know, everyone can make a difference no matter how small you are. And just that little thing that is that that you did that has taken not just one piece of plastic out of a box, that that made people reassess, well, do we really need this? Um, and I think that that, that is a, a really important message that every single person here can make a difference. So do you think that, well, I'm going to ask you, are clients, uh, are, are your team, are they more interested in sustainability today? Are they more interested in knowing what you do with packaging or what you do with rinsing leftovers down the sink or, or recycling or testing on animals? And as you just said, when you mentioned your SDGs, that it's not just about recycling. It is sustainability is much bigger than that. So, you know, I suppose you have to start talking about, you know, a, a, a child labor as well and, uh, you know, testing on animals. All of these things start to be, you know, a, a component of that. So, uh, yeah, talk to us to that. Do you think that people and clients are more interested in those things now than what they were before? Yeah, they definitely are. I mean, we're fortunate enough for 15 years we've been working um, towards, you know, our sustainable goals and changing the salon. So our clients were coming to us and researching because of what we do. And we have to have the answers and we have to let them know what we're doing. Clients that were already with me before that um, love, love what we're doing. And you'd be surprised once you start taking small steps, your clients will join in with you. Oh, I've swapped to this, Corrine. Um, You know, I'm no longer, um, you know, buying this product because it's, uh, you know, it's produced in a country where there's child labor. My team would never tell me that they've shopped in one of the shops that I've, I've highlighted. I don't want to go name shaming, but there are certain big companies out there that still use child labor and my team, you know, and it's cheap throwaway fashion that I think, you know, it's, it's sad because people in society can afford, only afford that, but we, we need to stop it because Somebody else is dying for it. Um, mm. So my team wouldn't wouldn't engage in, in shops that, that do use child labour still, and we question it. 
all the time. So that's important. Um, we've taken on over the last few years, there's so much more access to being able to be sustainable now as well with companies like Green Salon Collective and um, I, 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 each country has its own, um, as, as you've mentioned before. So they help us recycle everything, nothing goes to landfill. So just by doing that, in starting there, you know, our reduction of costs of uh, waste has reduced because we're, we're not throwing stuff away just because it's easier. You know, we're having to look at it, place it in a bin. We're not using four towels on a client because it's just wasteful. Mm. Um, you know, we, we swapped to easy dry towels, which saved us, I think it was like 500 pounds a quarter mm. on electricity alone because we weren't using the tumble dryer all day long. Um, okay. The team had more time to think about projects that they want to do because they're not doing the, the washing all the time. So that that's, you know, a big saving there for, for you and for the environment. So it's good to look at things that you can do that benefit both. Um, you know, we want to progress and move on, and I don't think we should go backwards, but we need to think when you go to the supermarket, I won't buy, well, I, I went three years without going to a supermarket because I refused to buy anything in plastic. It's, it creeps back in every now and then, so you can't you can't beat yourself up about it. Mm. Uh, but you need to be addressing it. Do I need that? And I've got a brilliant little story. My four-year-old niece. Um, we were in the supermarket just a few years ago, and um, she said, "Queen, can I can I have this?" So I said, "Well, you can." I said, "But it's wrapped in plastic. Do you want it?" And she said, "No, plastic is not fantastic." And she put it back <laughs> on the on the shelf. And I said, would you like something else that's not in plastic? She said, no, I don't really need it. Good. Okay. And that was a four-year-old, and I was so proud of her. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, if we educate people now, hopefully in the future we'll, we will have that better place that we're all screaming out for. Yeah. How do you market your sustainability ethos to clients? Uh, well, the first, well, since COVID, we've done made lots and lots of changes. Uh, I had a lot of time to think about things during lockdown. And um, firstly, when we reopened, because of all the extra PPE and all the extra um, sanitization we needed, it all came in plastic. Um, so I spoke with um, Anne Busley at Easy Dry, and first she made up these um, the compostable, and that's an important word. Biodegradable can take up to a thousand years. Compostable takes normally six to eight weeks to break down, and you okay. can put it into your um, compost, or which is what Green Salon Collective is doing. But they made masks for us. Um, they made cornstarch and plastic capes and gowns for us to, to put over clients. Um, we uh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, so I, I didn't want to buy these sterilizers that were just big clumps of plastic. Um, so I was trying to think of other ways of doing it. And I was cycling into the salon during lockdown just to start to get things ready. And I cycled past a big building with a fish tank inside it, like the whole window. I don't know if you know the one in the city, and I think it's in the Heron building. Mm. Um, I thought, oh, that's what we can do. So I ordered a load of fish tanks. And that's what we sterilise our brushes in. Fit Damien Hurst and Arcee as well, I think. Uh, okay. <laughs> having a bit of fun with things and not and not actually diving in for the easiest, most convenient brand or product as well. Yeah. Do, yeah. do you attract new clients because of the stance that yeah. you take on sustainable yes. things? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's uh, for us because I, I took on organic colour systems. I suppose I should explain how the, the journey started. 
Uh, firstly, as a kid in Australia, I had an issue with rubbish. And Australia, as you know, is pretty clean. Um, and when I was about eight, I was really annoyed. I'd watched somebody throw um, something out of a car. So I went home in a half and I drew up all these signs. There was a campaign in Australia at the time, do the right thing, put it in the bin. And so I made my own posters and my mum still laughs when she tells the story. She was so serious. And I got on my bike afterwards and I went out and I stuck them all over lampposts, um, telling everyone to put their rubbish in the bin. Um, mm. And it started there. And when I came to the UK in 91, I don't think there was any such thing as recycling. I was shocked. Um, whereas we'd already started with the um, yellow bin, the red bin and the green bin in Australia, where you, you had to section everything out. So um, when I opened my salon, I, I was actually already thinking about things that we could do differently and what unique selling point I would have. Um, and then one of my clients got cancer. Um, she's fine. She's actually had two bouts, but she's actually absolutely fine and asked me to look into brands that didn't have, um, you know, as many chemicals. So I started, I was like, oh, it's not going to work, you know, um, so hardcore commercial brands was where I was at at the time. And I um, started researching and I was shocked at what went into colour. I was shocked at the testing. Um, I was shocked at the packaging um, and then how far it was all travelling. And at that point, I think it was 2004, the carbon footprint became came to the forefront of, you know, sustainability. So I searched out a company that's UK-based. Um, they invited me to look at their factory um, in organic colour systems, showed me how it was all made, showed me how their plastic was made. Um, the clients could bring their bottles back in to refill their shampoos and conditioners, um, which is becoming commonplace now and, and great. Um, and that's, that's really where it started big time in the salon. And it, it became fun for us. You know, we sit down the team meeting, right, what can we do next? Um, we made up a plastic assessment sheet. Also had, um, it started to attract really good clients. Um, Lucy Siegel, uh, she wrote Turn the Tide on Plastic. Um, she's been one of our clients for 15 years, since, since we started using the organic colour. And I've worked closely with her. She's guided me over the years on changes that I can make, which are better. So, you know, tap into your clients, the ones that are coming to you because you're sustainable. They have a wealth of knowledge that is um, just it's brilliant. And I like I like hearing what everyone's got to say. And as you build your reputation, clients are really proud to come and say, I think you should change this or, mm. you know, and this product still contains palm oil. Like, oh, my God, I didn't realize that. Um, <laughs> we're not perfect. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. Now, uh, for our, our listeners, uh, when Corrine talks about Green Salon Collective, uh, the equivalent in the US is Green Circle. Uh, and in Australia, I might have this wrong. I hope not. I think they're called sustainable salons. And they're all organisations which, you know, take typical salon waste away and recycle it as opposed to just, you know, uh, put it in the landfill, et cetera. And, and so uh, that's obviously a big part of your business. Can I just ask you something about that? Um, do you charge a, a green fee to clients no. or, do you, or do you absorb it into the cost of the service? Uh, well, no to both, actually. So um, okay. when, when I took the brand on, um, it is expensive to have it all uh, sectioned out and taken away. I'm not going to lie about that. But what we do is, uh, but I think it's important it gets done. And 
for me, the more people that start using it, and Fry and Paul, I had a big chat with them about this on the weekends, then the cheaper it's going to become. And it's mm. like anything. Remember when VCRs came out and they're like mm. mega expensive and, and then they came down and down and then you pick them up for like 60 pounds. So I'm hoping sustainability will do the same thing. What we did, though, was um, we offer drinks for our clients, um, anything from, you know, a juice to beer, wine, champagne, um, cappuccinos. So every client that comes in the door, and I show any hairdresser out there talk to me, you'll have that client when they've got a free drink, will order four drinks. Um, and so what we decided to do to offset the cost of um, Green Cell and Collective, we offer all our clients complimentary drink and as much water as they'd like when they arrive. Mm -hmm. After that, we ask for a two pound contribution towards our recycling process. So the clients that were having four drinks are now only having one. So in my eyes, I've saved the money there um, and I put that offset it against the recycling. A lot of clients that want a second drink, if they've come in after work, things like that, they're delighted really. There's nobody that hasn't said, Oh yeah, no, I won't. I won't contribute towards your recycling. Um, mm. And some clients have even gone. Let me put a bit extra in. So they want to. They want to be part of it. You know, they're they're part of making the recycling. So why not be part of fixing it? Without I, I, I didn't feel I could add a pound to every client because we were already a sustainable salon. I think that's where I am with that right, one. Okay, because I know you know that it, it's a challenge that a lot of those sort of companies have which is that people, I think generally speaking now, that all over the world, people accept that they have to become greener, they have to recycle, they have to do their bit. And so companies like, you know, Sustainable Salons or, or Green Circle or whatever, or, or Green Salon Collective, I mean, they, you know, they have employees, they have a business. I mean, they have to, you know, earn money as well uh, in order to be able to repurpose and recycle all this stuff. But I know that particularly when things get tough economically, that for a lot of salons, it's often the first thing that they decide they can do without. Um, and so they go back to their old ways as opposed to, um, you know, uh, maintaining that issue. And so the argument is always that what they should do is they should charge a separate fee for it because then it's, it's it's harder for you to want to take it away because it's it's part of it's a separate line item in your profit and loss then it, it's not something that you're absorbing so that when you're not profitable then often it's the first thing that they cut out so I'm always a great believer that they should charge a fee and that the client should know that it's a fee on top of it but I get your um, your perspective on that as to as to how you feel you're sort of financing it. Yeah. Um, what, what you mentioned palm oil now excuse my ignorance what what role does palm oil play in hairdressing products oh it's huge in in a lot of products it's in a lot of our um styling products you'll find it in cleaning agents you'll find it in food okay. um, and palm oil is wiping out the amazon um because it's it's so overproduced um, and you think, oh, it's trees growing still, but they're not putting other varieties of trees in there. So the insects aren't um, developing. The eco cycle's breaking down because they're clearing um, natural uh, rainforest and build, are putting in palm oil trees without diversity in there. And I think it brings it back. Everything comes back to this full circle of um, we're overusing things. We, over, we get overexcited about stuff. 
and then we overuse it and we and we break break it down you know but it starts mm-hmm. breaking down the planet um I, I had a very good chat with from green talent collective they're working with a um a, i think she's a professor um senna is her name she's amazing and she's she studied design and now she's doing a phd in sustainability i could talk to her for hours about all the things that we do um and she wants to complete the circle and she works with the hairdressing industry and other industries as well um, and on the weekend i know you've seen it she uh, designed a swing and the the arms were made out of um recycled hair and at yeah. first when you, when you um feel it she spun the hair mm. um think, oh no hair and then i had to check myself up well i wear wool and that comes off sheep so <laughs> why wouldn't we be reusing hair um yeah but it, it's a natural resource we all grow it there's tons of it that in a hair salon and um part of green salon collectives as well as making the, the hair booms that soak mm. up um the oil from oil yeah. slicks but there's only so many oil slicks and i think there's something like 4.5 million tons of hair waste produced mm. in the UK alone wow. um every year so that's a lot of a lot of hair to be using up. So we should be thinking about maybe making fishing nets and ropes and everything from it. Mm. Yeah, it's incredible what 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 you can do with it. It's all a case of a lot of it comes down to financially. Is it is it um, a viable thing to do? And I think that again, you sort of touched on this before. The more people that do it, the more financially affordable it becomes. As you were talking about that, I just you know, I'm sat here obviously looking at my computer and I just thought to myself, yeah, I can remember the first computer I bought, you know, it was like $9,000. I mean, you know, and, and it, it didn't have the capacity to do what my phone does today, you know. Uh, so, yeah, and I mean, and today, I mean, you're not going to pay anything like $9,000 for a computer. Um, well, one of the things I wanted to touch on was was the terminology. You, you said something that, that I was, you know, blown away by. Um, the difference between, I think it was biodegradable, which, as you said, means it can take up to a thousand years versus compostable, which can take a, a matter of weeks. And, you know, that's, that's a really, um, where do we go with this? That sort of links into marketing because there's a lot of companies out there. And I want to talk to you about color in a minute, because I know that, that your salon, um, is very known, it's known for lots of things, but it's very known for being a, a great color salon. And, you know, I wanted to ask you about the term organic, because a lot of people use terminology like biodegradable, compostable. And to the average Joe on the street, you sort of think, yeah, they're sort of interchangeable words. You don't understand the difference between, you know, what they mean until someone says, well, biodegradable means it might take, uh, I, I think I've got this right, a thousand years to degrade, uh, whereas compostable means weeks and it has, you know, degraded it back into the uh, uh, soil or whatever. So talk to us about, organic because i know you mentioned about the product range you had before and i think you said they were organic lots of people throw that term around very loosely uh in terms of food and in terms of products we put on our skin etc so so what is it that qualifies a color range to be called organic well it's an interesting uh, that's a really interesting question and when i was looking to take on a brand i learned a lot um Organic Colour Systems has been going for 30 years. And the reason I chose them, ultimately, um, because the low carbon footprint and everything else, but also to that they were honest. They're one of the only companies that said, no permanent colour 
can be 100% organic, actually. And um, I think legislation, and I'm, I might be wrong, but it's roughly only 10%, I think, has to be organic matter in there. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not going to give you any statistics. I can't remember them off the top of my head, but theirs was yeah. quite high. Um, where they can, they've swapped um, chemical for for natural. But natural too isn't, you know, like going to um, Brazil and taking out the rainforest with palm oil. They had to look at, they look at growing a lot of their um, ingredients uh, locally. So they were soil associated. So there's all these brands, uh, all these um, accolades, I suppose you call them, are they? Or mm-hmm. where, they, where they can put onto their branding cruelty free. So they've got the bunny rabbit, B Corp. So B Corp, it's quite um, new. I don't know if everyone knows about that, but it's where you, it's again, it's the full circle. So um, where you're sourcing your ingredients, are you paying fair wages? Are the companies that you're buying it from paying fair wages? Are they trading the way they're transporting? Is that good for the environment? Um, and it's looking at everything, not just the end product. Oh, well, this is organic because everything inside it has come from somewhere. Um, and is doing something. So the carbon footprint, that was the word I was looking for. Mm. Um, and that's what I, I like talking about. them. And they were so open. They took me down to their factory. It's the first time I've ever seen colour being made. It was fascinating. And um, all their ingredients. So when you're looking at brands, be be looking and speak to them. You know, I, I speak to everybody. I, I question them about, well, you know, what makes it biodegradable, what makes it um, compostable, what makes it uh, natural, um, and then question question that. And that's why I went with them, because they were honest and they explained every ingredient. We give that to clients that want to come in and know what's in there. And ingredients can be quite misleading as well. Um, you know, they, they might say it's it's natural, but it's not. It's, it's mm. come from you know it's come from some rare bug that makes up the color it's it's you've got to be really careful yeah that's where i think a lot of you know just the i mean you're passionate about this the average person out there wants to make a difference you know i want to make a difference my wife sends me down the supermarket or whatever to get some stuff she says you know and i'll pick it up and i'll look at the labeling on the back and i'll read it and basically i have no idea what it means do, do you know what I mean? Like in so many cases, like you mentioned palm oil, for example, you know, you, you have no idea what it means because there's a lot of trickery is the wrong word, but there's a lot of, yeah, is it dishonest? Um, that, that There's a lot of exploiting loopholes uh, that yeah. goes on in the marketing of products. Um, and they use words like natural. They use words like organic and you know, as a consumer, you think you're doing the right thing. But as you point out, that sometimes what you think that means and what it actually means are two different things. Um, When you talk about hair color and you talk about it being organic, I know a lot of people that are listening to this would straight away think, but yeah, the problem is it compromises on quality. So you are renowned for great color work. What's your What's your comment on that? Does it compromise on the, you know, the, the the vivid reds and the longevity of the, you know, the golds or whatever it is, or or is it just not a thing? I think if you use colour correctly in the way that the manufacturer teaches you how to use it, you get amazing colour results. Um, right. The one there, the, the yellow ones behind that one, and there's a really good story about that. 
we were on a shoot in Australia and I wanted to create this bright, vivid yellow. And um, my friend Errol was uh, creative directing it for me. And he's going, oh, shall I go get some crazy colour? I said, no, no, the organic colour will do it. And it's a colour stain. It doesn't contain any chemicals. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, well, how can something without a chemical can create the colour that you want? Um, and I, I did the colour and he was blown away. And mm-hmm. so you get great reds, you get great greens. Um, you need to work the colour slightly differently. So I wash the hair first um, to open up the cuticle because there's no ammonia in there to open up the cuticle, which is what the ammonia is used for. Um, and, yeah, I think if you choose the right brand, it will work. I did try about six brands out before okay. I decided on which one I was going for. Um, and some of them, I don't know why they could call themselves natural or organic because they were just completely lying. And then some brands just didn't work. Mm. Um, so you need to choose the right brands. Again, you also need to, it's a lifestyle choice for clients. So you also need to um, get your clients to buy into the concept of what you're doing. And 15 years ago, that was quite difficult. I did lose a few clients over it because they all they cared about was chemicals. Mm. Um uh, you know, getting the, the result, not chemicals. All they cared about was getting the right result on their hair. Um, so I did lose a few clients, but then we gained so many more that wanted to do the right thing. So yeah. I think it balances it out. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, actually. Uh, do you find that clients are, are asking for organic products and vegan products and 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 uh, PPT uh, free products. Are they asking for that now? Yes. I mean, I know yeah. you alluded to a lady who had cancer. Long, they've been asking for that for a long time, especially clients that have gone through, you know, such traumatic experiences, cancer. And we, we do, we work with a lot of clients that have had, um, you know, post-cancer to help them back on their journey with their hair growing back and colouring their hair. And um, we did a lot of work with um, um, Look Good, Feel Better up at UCL, uh, UCL is a hospital, um, it's a university hospital just up the road from us, um, to help women and men through the process of growing their hair back and getting them to understand that the chemicals that the chemo's um, been in, you know, when you grow through, you can't really colour it properly, it's not really your hair, it's a different texture. Yeah. So we work with, yeah. with the clients very closely to get them back to being able to colour their hair and um, you know, getting back to getting life back on track after such a traumatic experience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When it comes to, um, in a salon sense, with uh, a styling product um, and shampoos, conditioners, treatments, that sort of thing, what do you do in your salon for that? Do you offer any sort of refill service or is there anything like that that you do? Yeah, we offer on all our, our products, we offer refill service. So, um, they can either bring the bottle back and we can give them a new bottle um, and we can send that off. Or um, if they want 50p off, then we can refill the bottle that they've already bought in. Um, we do that for our, all our cleaning products as well. Because yeah. um, we felt that, uh, you know, we were using so much cleaning products in the salon. So if I bought it in bulk, it was less transport. And then people can pick up on it as well and... Um, you come and use it so it's great we're in the center of london so the flats don't have access to um re- refilling stations like we have in the suburbs so it's been a good good choice for us so 
Right. Okay. When I heard you talking uh, the other day at uh, an event that I attended that you were speaking at at Salon International, um, I only caught the end of it, unfortunately. But uh, the, the compere asked, you know, all the speakers if there was one thing you wanted the audience to take away um, as something that they should do, you know, what would it be? And they went through each of the speakers. I think there were four of you on, on the, the platform. And I'm not sure who said it. It may have been you. And it was something about you said that if it wasn't you, it might have been Gina Conway. And you said or she said something about I think the most important thing you should do if you're going to do one thing is have a salon pledge about uh, your Gina's, stance on the environment. Gina. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, what did what did she mean by that? Because I oh, I was intrigued by that. Done that. She, uh, Gina and I talk a lot about sustainability, and I think that's that's really important as well. If you've got other salons in your area already doing it, they should be more than willing to share that information with you. Because there's no point doing it if we can't get everyone doing it. So, Gina taught me that. Um, each of us has written a pledge onto um, a piece of paper that we're going to do. Um, what, interestingly enough, one of my team put on there, I'm not buying from Amazon anymore. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> and that's a pledge, um, you know, because the packaging and the, the easy access, the unfair wages, uh, you know, things like that. It's um, he, he decided that it, it, that's the worst thing he could be doing. Um, you know, another pledge, one of my team just, trying to break their habit of using a recyclable um, coffee cup. So they pledged that they, if they forgot their coffee cup, they weren't going to um, have a coffee. Um, so it's little things like that. You know, cycle more. You're carbon neutral when you cycle more. Uh, they, or, I'm trying to think what's up on our wall. But we put all little things up on the wall. Yeah. Um, I, I know uh, I know your dog's walking around distracting you at the moment, but uh, no, no, that's all right. Uh, uh, that, that aside, you know, you just mentioned a brand name, Amazon, uh, and earlier on when you were talking about um, how your team wouldn't go out and buy clothes from certain retailers, but you didn't want to name and shame, and I, I understand that, and I'm not about naming and shaming anyone, uh, but do you think that there's an element of fear about naming and shaming? Like in our industry, there, there are lots of big multinational corporations that many, many salons, a majority of them do business with. Um, and I think that, that it's a little bit like going back to your story about the tissues, that you need to say to them, why are you over-packaging this? Why are you sending me all this stuff and so many layers of packaging? Or, you know, what, what does this really need, that plastic? Or does this tube really need to be put in a, a separate box? Or does it even need to come in a tube, which is the big thing? Yeah. Um, what, you know, what are your thoughts about that, about, you know, holding big brands accountable and um, asking them the right questions? And not being afraid to say, I don't use this brand anymore, Amazon or whatever it's going to be, because I don't agree with their stance on um, all things sustainable. Yeah. Well, now you've started me, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> I have huge issues with quite a few companies. Mm. Uh, the first thing I do is I send the plastic back to them sometimes, which I know is not very eco, but I just to prove a point, did mm. you need all of this recently my watch broke and I love I love my Apple watch it tells me everything um but I didn't want to buy a new one 
And um, there, there was a fault. So I sent it off to them to get it fixed. And it was with them so long they couldn't fix it. They actually sent me a new watch. And I was just horrified. And, and I'm an Apple fan, but how much mm. packaging came with this new watch that I put it on Instagram to shame them a little bit. And somebody commented, a friend of mine actually, but he said, well, wouldn't it have been better just to buy secondhand? And I didn't want to get into an argument saying, I was actually trying to fix the watch. <laughs> so <laughs> I sent the packaging back to Apple. Mm. I don't know if they got it, but I sent it back um, because I do think it's, it's excessive. And, you know, we do need to question all the mm. time uh, what they're doing. Um, companies that have, have sent like Nestle, you know, what they did, you know, 20 years ago, testing in Africa, it just, I won't touch a Nestle product um, mm. because that is not what, what they did is wrong. And that's why you you need to be looking at B Corp and fair trade. Um, and, and part of B Corp is unlike other brands, you, you have to keep reapplying for it. It's not once you've got it, you get to keep it. Um, you have to keep proving that you're using the sustainable energy, sustainable bank accounts, um, fair pay, um, diversity, and you have to keep proving this again mm. and again. And I think that's really important because companies will firstly buy a sustainable brand, and we all know the companies that will do that and then claim that they are sustainable because they've bought that brand. Um, mm, so you also okay. need to check who owns the brands that you're using. I try to go for independence because mm. I love globalization, but at the same time, I hate it. Yeah, yeah, I'm um, with you on that. Yeah. It's putting all everything in one pot. Um, and we've got too many people now taking over and having too much power because they've got control of everything. And it, it's, it's not good. It's not good. So you need to really be thinking go to your independent coffee shop, go to your independent brands and um, support them, support mm. it. Otherwise we will be taken over and that will not be sustainable. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, you were talking before about a client of yours, you had um, uh, cancer. So you started investigating a lot more about color and what goes into it. Um, how important, and I'm completely out of my depth as I start talking about this, uh, but how important are the changes that are happening in terms of PPD? Yeah, it's not happening fast enough. And even with the organic color systems that I use, it's 0.4% that they have in their brands. They have not really found anything to make color permanent yet mm. um, without using PPD. Uh, a, conventional brands will use up to 12%, which is quite high. Um, the lighter the colour goes, the less PPD that's in there. Um, and, the, and the one that gets the worst rap is um, bleach and peroxide. Peroxide is just hydrogen, oxygen. Um, and bleach is probably the most natural thing out of all, all of the colour. There's no PPDs in that. So you, you're not going to have an allergic reaction. You might burn your scalp, but you're mm. not going to have an allergic reaction to it. So um, part of learning your craft is learning everything about your craft. And I think that's important as well as to, to not just, well, I'm a hairdresser. And I think it's important we should be regulated because we are putting chemicals onto people's head and we should know what we're doing. Mm. And a lot of people out there have no idea what, what they're doing when it comes to the, the depth of the color you're using. Um, you know, they can get the shade you want, but at what detriment have they done that? 
Yeah, yeah. Are allergies um, increasing, do you think? You know, you've been in the industry think, 20 plus years or whatever. Are they increasing? I think they are because we've become less tolerant, like nut allergies and um, wheat and gluten. And we've overused things and overprocessed stuff. So, I, I mean, that's not scientific. I don't know that for a fact, but I feel definitely there's an increase um, in sensitivity. And if we start going back to natural, we won't have that sensitivity as much anymore. Yeah. If if you, we need to uh, start wrapping up in a few minutes, but if, if you were a salon owner listening to this, often, you know, when you hear things like this, you, you, you're motivated to change. But the first thing that runs through your head is, well, where do I start? So, so what would be the advice that you would give to a salon owner or a stylist working for somebody else, whether they're part of a big group or a business unit of one? You know, what are what are some of the, I don't know, three, five things, easy wins that anyone could do that would start to make a difference? Because that's really what you've got to do, isn't it? It is. It is. Firstly, it can seem really, really overwhelming um, and, it, and it can seem hard work. And so that's where, you know, that's the right thing to sit down and look at what small steps can you take to, t- to make changes. Um, what I would suggest is to do a risk assessment of your business, but do it as a sustainable assessment. So with your team, because if you don't have your team on board, nothing's going to change. Walk mm-hmm. around together, around the salon, and just look at everything. I think, is that sustainable? Do we need that? Is it replaceable? And write it into a little, a little sheet. Um, and then do one thing at a time one week at a time and create habits. Habits take about six weeks to form. And I think if you if you do one thing at a time and then once everybody's doing it, any new staff member coming in will, will automatically fall into that, that role. So we look at single-use plastic. Uh, we look at the towels and towels, how many towels you're using, uh, how much water you're washing down the sink. Do you need the light on? And these are all just simple things that, mm. that you can start with your reusable coffee cup. Um, We don't allow um, drink bottles into the salon. So I bought all my team for Christmas, really lovely coffee cup and a a drink bottle and we refill it. Um, The other thing, you know, offering drinks and things, we've had a Brita filter put in so we can get our sparkling water, hot, tea, cold. We used to run an urn all the time. Um, Keeping it hot, that's such a waste of energy. Mm. So looking at how you can just reduce small things start small and then build up but if you have it all in front of you and then just tick one thing off at a time as you're doing it you'll see that you you find you'll get through that list pretty quickly yeah and do you find your um younger team members are more conscious of that and more just sort of do it automatically anyway or not necessarily they do and they question it more as well yeah um, and I don't think beat yourself up because we, we all get it wrong sometimes. And sometimes you just think, I really want that. You know, I really want that. But occasionally it's okay to do that. My team, however, will pull me on it. Oh, Corinne, did you need that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind because I think we all need to be accountable yeah. for what we do. And yeah. all of us make mistakes and all of us make great suggestions. Mm. And you need to do it together as a collective. Yeah, one of the things I often think about is um, the amount of product that is rinsed down the sink every day. I mean, you're a colour salon, so yeah. I don't know how many clients would have colour in there during the day, um, yeah. but 
all that color that you put on someone's hair is then rinsed down the sink and it goes into the environment. Now, if we if we took, I don't know how many salons there are in London, but, but let's just pluck a number out of the year and say there's 10,000. There probably isn't that many, but just for ease of maths. 42,000 salons in the UK. In the UK. Well, there may very well be close to 10,000 yeah. in the greater London area. So if you had 10,000 salons and they were all, and, and you were able to, by some magic trick, um, amass all the product that in one day goes into the, you know, the water system, it would fill up a swimming pool or something. Do you know what I mean? I'm guessing. It, it would be a considerable amount. Now, if a manufacturer was to do that, they would be in court tomorrow. But as yeah. a series of little individual businesses, as an industry, we are doing that. And we sort of, I won't say that we ignore it. It's a reality of our business and I don't have the answer to what is the future of that, but but that is fundamentally wrong. It has to be some way to stop that happening. What are your what are your thoughts about well, that? I, you know what? I can't believe I actually missed this whole subject because this was one of the first things we started um, uh, ten years ago. We had a vase, and I said it, it was an amnesty, so you could just put your waste, color waste, into the vase, and let's see how much we're washing down the sink. We were shocked. Um, within a week, we'd done like four large vases. Yeah. Um, so firstly, as a business owner, the, the wastage there was sensational. Um, and then all of that was going down the sink. And that's not including the colour that you're rinsing off the hair. Yeah, because that's um, what I was meaning, the colour that you're actually okay, rinsing okay. off the hair. Hopefully there's well, more of that than there is wastage. Yeah, a hairdresser firstly need to be accountable for how much colour they were mixing up. Mm. So we started a game um, as a team. We weren't shaming anyone, but it was just a game to see if we can get through a week with only putting a minute amount in the vase. And we we do that. Recently, during lockdown, I I discovered a company called Vish, and I don't know if anyone's heard of it. They're fantastic. I'm sure they have. I've Um, interviewed them on the podcast too. Oh, you've interviewed them. I was going to ask you about that, actually. Do you use them? Yes, yeah. We won um, their Eco Warriors. Um, I had three of my team. Um, we didn't even know they were running a competition, but um, our first year of use, we actually won um, least amount of waste, least wow. amount of product mixed up, um, and overall um, uh, reweighing. So uh, my team have under 4% waste. Right. Which is, I'm so proud of them for that. Because when they took it on, so oh, you'd be shocked at how much you're going to waste. Mm, we're pretty good. We're pretty mm. good. But what we've done is we've now restructured how we run the business. And for anyone that's thinking about taking it on, it is it does cost money, but you get your money back. Because what we do, mm. well, firstly, it, the average salon wastes about 25% colour. Yeah. Um, so you're saving that 25%. Um, on money that you because you, you're mixing the correct amount. Vish, mm. you, you mix it up for colour, and even if you change your colour formula, you know how much is needed to cover their hair. Um, and so you can just re recalculate your colour formula and it'll tell you you'll need 20 grams of this, 30 grams of that. But what we've also done is it's unfair somebody that comes in with short hair and has a colour gets charged the same with somebody that comes in here and has a full balayage, which we all know takes up loads of colour. So mm. we now charge for the colour use um, rather and time rather than short, medium and long hair. 
It's just like, well, you're going to take three hours to recharge 60 pounds an hour and your vision on top of that is going to be about nine pounds. Mm, and it's, right. it's a very way, fair way of pricing. It's, it enables us to give our team above living wages. It also saves money on waste. It also protects the environment. And I think if, if, if you're going to start somewhere, that's one of the first places. Um, vision, okay. look at your cycling. Now, I, I have... Um had on the podcast and i'll put the links in the show notes for today um both uh, vish and another one called salon scale which are similar they're different but they're similar and so i've done i've done a couple of podcasts with salon scale and one with vish um what did you just mean when you said and you put your vish on top of that what did that mean so um, I'm glad you said that because I've been trying to tell my team not to use that language and there I am using it. We charge for the amount of colour we use. Yeah. Um, so it's your colour product. Um, mm-hmm. um, so if we use 60 grams of Nature Light, um, I'm just guessing that will be, uh, it's a pound a gram or something like that. It's not that much. It's about yeah, 3p yeah. a mm-hmm. gram. Um, and that gets added to the client's service. Um, once they know, because you'll be using roughly about the same amount every time, so that becomes part of their package, their hair package. Um, you're not losing money because the stylist isn't wasting product. Mm-hmm. The client's not missing out um, because they're being charged correctly mm-hmm. um, for the service. And it, it makes for better profit in a salon, better business profit as well. So you know exactly right. whatever you use on the client, that's what you can reorder Got it. Okay. All right. Fantastic. Okay. Well, look, uh, this has been, you know, really interesting digging in. I mean, as I said, I'd, I'd spoken to, you know, both Vish and Salon Scale, and I actually thought it would be, and I've spoken to uh, uh, Fry from Green Salon Collective on previous podcasts as well. So I'll put all those links in the show note, but I really wanted to talk to you because you're the salon owner, you know, you come at it from the, you know, I'm in behind the chair with clients and with the team and with the dispensary and uh, and to talk about the environmental and the sustainability angle from the salon owner's perspective. So you, you've certainly, um, you know, shone a light on a lot of that. Where, whereabouts can people connect with you, Corinne, on uh, Instagram or other social media channels? Yeah, I'm on um. I'm on Instagram. I'm, I sometimes forget to look at things. So, <laughs> as you yes, know. I can vouch for that. <laughs> so, yeah, so don't, don't feel I'm being rude if you reach out and I haven't got back to you straight away. I will get there eventually. Um, it's Kareen M. Jackson is my personal one. And um, our salon one is Kareen Jackson Salon. Um, so if you get, you can reach out there on Instagram. You can also get us on Facebook, which is KM um, Jackson. Um, and I will get back to you eventually. I've now allocated somebody to keep an eye on that for me in case I miss something, which I quite right. often do. Okay. So I'll put all those links uh, on our website, growmysalonbusiness.com and in the show notes for today's podcast. If you listen to this podcast with Kareen Jackson and you've enjoyed it, then do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple podcasting app. So uh, to wrap up, Corrine Jackson, thank you ever so much for being on today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Thank you, Anthony. 
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.